Thank you, worship team. It's kind of interesting to sit down there and hear it instead of being up here singing it. Great stuff. Praise God. They just sang my sermon. Just about. Um, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. I'm, I was thankful that Kevin and Michelle and Mia decided to sit next to me down here. I kind of felt like a, a, a big league pitcher that's thrown a no-hitter. No one wants to be around you. You know, they just keep going the other direction. I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. But they showed up, so I appreciate that. Let me pray before we start. Father, we thank you today for your word, the truth of it. I pray that you would uh, impart your word to these people. It's a wonderful passage that you put in, so many truths in it. I just pray you use me tonight. Let me be the uh, speaker. And you be the microphone, as it were. As you talk, may it come right through me and go right out. And uh, I will thank you. Bless our time now as we look at your word in Christ's precious name. Amen. Somewhere back in the 90s, I was awakened by my wife early in the morning asking me to take a look at the news. And there is a story that was on about a an elderly couple and their daughter who was up in years who was an invalid and the story was that there had been a fire and um, I just so happened to have done a job for those folks and um, I was painting That's all I was doing painting the inside of the house doing little fix-ups and I noticed while I was there that there was no smoke detectors in the house and so I mentioned to the to the daughter who wasn't living there who had hired me actually to do the work I said you know we really need to put some smoke detectors in there needs to be you got elderly parents here you got a sister that can barely get around it'd be great if we could put those in so we did I went and got them they're very inexpensive when you think of the results of not having them so there was a fire there and every day I gotta tell you this every day that I went to this house and rang the doorbell to get in there to do my job, the doors were barricaded. So I had to wait a few minutes every time for them to unbarricade the door to let me in. Well, the doors were barricaded that day too. What had happened was we've all got smoke detectors in our house and they, they inadvertently will go off when the battery gets down a little bit low. And sometimes that's very irritating because even without the battery they seem to go off somehow I don't understand how that works but that happens but these particular people had gotten on a chair and taken all the batteries out they all three perished in that fire deadly silence deadly silence and so Tonight's message is about the reconciliation and how we're supposed to be the ambassadors of God. And I kind of like to look at this message as almost as though we're God's smoke detectors that have been placed here to warn those about the in ensuing fire that's coming. 
So let's read the passage together. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who might live, who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal right through us, or appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the church said, Amen. Amen. This passage, as I studied it, I came to the realization that it's critical to the gospel that Paul described throughout his writings and scriptures. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of reconciliation. And five times he mentions reconciliation in the passage. Twice in 18, twice in 19, and once in 20. And it assumes reconciliation, the very term, would assume that if we're not reconciled, we are in enmity, alienated, hostile people, and we are enemies of the person that we're not reconciled to, which would be God in this point. So enemies even to the point of violence is what it describes I looked up the definition in Vine's Dictionary of Reconciliation, and it just means to change from enmity to friendship, to reconcile, to go from being an enemy to being friends, to having a right relationship with someone, something that we face in counseling ministry all the time. Seems like there's a lot of uh, marital issues where we have to reconcile and get people to reconcile. But tonight, out of that passage, I would like to cover three things and here they are. Point number one would be divine motivation. The divine motivation for reconciliation. Number two would be the divine miracle of reconciliation. And then the divine mystery of reconciliation. And I'm going to just go right to verse 14 and say, what was the motivation of God wanting to reconcile us? And if you look at 14... He says there, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. So it looks to me like the motivation was love. According to that passage, that's what he's saying. And we know that 
Um, what's a famous verse that we have that says that he loves, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.16 seems like just the obvious jumps right out at you. He says, because I love you, I'm going to send my son for you. And I'm going to reconcile you to myself. Now remember, we are the ones that were in need of reconciliation. God's not needing to be reconciled to us. We need to be reconciled to him. So he had to do a work. We couldn't do it. We'll touch on that maybe a little bit later here. And in that passage, he says that Jesus died for all. And so I don't want, to be, I don't want anybody to be confused here. He died for all who would believe that he died for them. Not all, as in the sense of everybody, because that can get confusing, and I'm not going to go there. That would be a sermon for an entire other time to talk about that. But I just want to kind of reference that. Say, you were talking about the ones that would believe on him as the ones that he died for there. So, and the result of Christ's love is what was accomplished at Calvary. And that's in verse 15. He says, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So he died so that we may live in a new way and die to ourselves. We're going to live for him and die to ourselves. That's the result of that love of him dying on a cross for us. When you put your belief in that, there's a change that takes place. Where you used to be selfish, hopefully you don't want to be selfish anymore. All right? So there we go. There's verses 14 and 15. Uh, and you have a new devotion to Christ, one that you never realized that you even, uh, you may not have even ever thought of it in that way. But it's clearly stated in the passage. So divine motivation was love, and it did some changing for us. He died for all that would believe. He died for all that the Father would give to him. Is basically what he's saying there. So then we go to our second point, which would be the divine miracle of reconciliation. And um, we find that in verse 16. Read this with me. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. And it's interesting. When we, get, when we believe on Jesus Christ, we get a different vision. We get like a new vision. Where we once looked at the outer man, and if you're still, do, we still do this, don't we? Don't we still do this? Don't we size people up? We take a look at them and go, Hmm, that guy's got a lot of tattoos. I don't want to talk to him. He scares me. All right? That happens. Is that, that's true. That happens. I, I've done it. Or that guy looks like a biker dude. I don't even want to talk to him. Now, Sean, I know they just went on vacation. Sean attacks people that are, are like that. That's just Sean. Not all of us are like Sean. Thank you. All right. And so, all of a sudden, instead of looking at the outward man, Paul says, I'm looking at the inward man. He's looking at the inside. He's looking at the heart of people. And it's interesting. He says, and what does he say there? He says, uh, I'll just skip past. There we go. He says, and we have known Christ that way. Paul's saying, I knew Christ in the flesh. Now, what he's saying there is he's saying, I used to look at Christ 
before the Damascus Road experience that he had, I used to look at Christ in the flesh part. I looked at him as a blasphemer. I looked at him as a fraud. I looked at him as a, a guy that was trying to destroy Judaism. I looked at him as a guy that deserved crucifixion. And Paul proved that out in his life even, because we all know he said he was the chiefest of sinners. And so he even said, I even went to the point, he even went to the point of trying to wipe the church off the face of the earth. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, when Stephen was being stoned, they laid his, the cloaks or their coats so they could get a rock and really get a good throw. Can't throw real well with your coat on. So they laid him at his feet. So he was there condoning, watching, saying, yeah, this man deserves death. Okay? But then, what's he say? But I no longer look at him that way. I saw who Christ really is. I see the inner... And Paul, what's an amazing thing, is once he became a believer, all that passion that he had, all of that... Uh, oh, all the bad within him that he was trying to destroy the church with, he turned it. Christ turned that in him, gave him a new nature, gave him a new vision. He started to see things a little bit differently. And that's how we should be seeing things. We should not be looking at the outer part of a person. We should be concerned with the soul and the inner part. That's who we've been called to go and talk with. That's who we've been called to go and give the gospel to. Um, when I went to New York City and went to uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle there, they have some people that attend their services that I, I'm not sure how comfortable I was being around them. And, and that's a mistake. So it's a huge mistake. They are such a, they're such a welcoming church. They bring everybody in. They go out on the streets and they bring the prostitutes and they bring the drug addicts and they go right after them. And I like to say it this way to you. If you've got a mindset that a person has to be a certain way, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. You need to get a different vision. All right? So, through Christ... And through that new vision, there's also some stuff that happens. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Hmm. He's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You, there's the miracle. You became a new creature. Do you remember the day you got saved? Did you become new? I certainly did. I was only five years old, and I remember changing. Yeah, I know. I was really into some deep sin at five, but I know that I changed that day. For one, my eternal destination changed that day, and I knew it. I knew that I was no longer had to worry about hell. I no longer had a, a conflict with God regarding hell at five. But when you remember, they say, I changed that day. I became a new creature. That's a miracle. How can you be born again? Only God can do that. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I hear people say, oh, we don't have miracles like we used to. 
Oh, every time someone comes to Christ, it's the biggest miracle there ever was. So we become new creatures. Old things pass away. The things that once attracted us no longer are attractive to us. Or they shouldn't be attractive to you. If those are still attractive to you and you find yourself doing all the things you used to do, you might want to work out your salvation a little bit. Not sure. All right? Ushers, can I get some water? Is there water here? Let's see, has anybody put their lips on this? At this point, I'm so thirsty, I don't really care. All right. So, then I wanted to show you guys something in verse 18 here. And I, I like this. It says, now all these things are from God. All aspects, all aspects of your conversion, because we just talked about what he did on your behalf. He died on a cross. All these things, every aspect of your conversion, every aspect of being reconciled to God, who did it? So what part did you have in it? You just had the sin part. That's a good comment. That's, you, you were doing real good at sinning when he met you. Okay. What part did Paul have in it? When he got knocked off the donkey, what was he doing? He was looking for Christ? No, he's trying to persecute him. Trying to get rid of it. So, all aspects, and that right there in verse 18, when I saw that, I went, man, that is incredible. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So another part of the miracle, God reconciled himself to us through Christ. He made us ministers of reconciliation. And then in verse 19, he says that he made us ministry, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Okay. Verse 19, um, that just screamed at me when I read this. He's not counting your trespasses against you. He's reconciled you through Christ, and he's not counting my trespasses. Now, I happen to be in charge of, I'm the pastor of counseling ministries here. Let me tell you how many times I have to share this with people. It's a constant thing of, I just can't forgive myself. And I think that's kind of a normal thing for people. You feel like you have to forgive yourself before God can forgive you. But I read that, and he says, he doesn't count your, he doesn't count your sins against you. Once you've been reconciled, your sins have been taken care of. What is there? Now you're going to do them, and he says, be, you know, to confess in First John 1, 9, confess that he's faithful and just to forgive you, and you have to continue to do that to keep fellowship with him. But it's interesting that you, I've got people that come in all the time, yeah, I asked him to forgive me, but I'm just not sure. 
I, I, I have so much guilt. I have so much, like, wait a minute. You asked him to forgive you and now you're carrying guilt? He said he was faithful and just to forgive you. In this passage, he doesn't count it against you anymore. I've got other passages that says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west. Quit putting him in a box. What you do when you do that, when you don't realize the truth of verse 19, is you suddenly, you say, yes, I've asked God to forgive me. I have. But I can't forgive me. What you just did was you became God. You just said, God can forgive me, but I can't. And who is it more important that they forgive you? Who are you going to stand for at the end of time? Who are you going to stand before? Yourself? No, you're going to stand before God. So I'm telling you right now, I want him to forgive me. And from what I understand, he's already done it. Right? It's right there. So all these different miracles that took place, that's one of them. My goodness, the miracle that takes place in your life. You were headed for hell, and now you're not. That's a miracle. So God doesn't count your transgressions. And then we come to this third point. I'm trying to think of what time I started now, and I'm lost. All right, I'm fine. We got a lot of time left. I know we can go till 9.30 probably. <laughs> so the divine mystery of recon reconciliation, and that's found in verses 20 and 21. And um, if this isn't mysterious to you, Therefore, because of all that he's done here, because of all we just talked about, the motive was love. He loved you. Why would God send his son? He loved you. And then the miracles that are created by what he did on a cross when you are reconciled to him. And now we get to the mystery. Therefore, we are the ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, here's the mystery. Why would God take us who were his enemies and then turn us into his ambassadors? Why would he do that? Well, we go back to motive is love, probably because he loved us. But it's a mystery. You go, that doesn't mean, why doesn't he have angels telling people about Christ? No, he decided to choose us. Now I want you to get the, the dynamic here. You who once hated him, who wanted nothing to do with him, Paul, you were trying to eliminate him. Instead, he probably made you the greatest ambassador that ever was for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was anybody more of an ambassador for the gospel than Paul? No, I'm sorry. There wasn't. Billy Graham's, Billy Graham's not even it. But this is what I thought of when I read this. Imagine us, our government, and sometimes the way our government goes, but remember now, we're not looking at the flesh, we're looking at the inner part. But sometimes the way our government does, I, I can't imagine this just about, but not quite. Imagine us appointing Osama bin Laden to be the United States ambassador after the attacks on New York. 
was this a man this man was a min, an enemy of ours imagine that that's kind of what it's like God says you're trying to persecute you're persecuting you're you are standing by Paul you're standing by and watching Stephen be stoned you're approving it you say lay your cloaks right here by me while you throw here here let me take that jacket so you can get a better throw and now and now I'm telling you now if it was me he was dead and gone I would have never had anything to do with Paul but that's not how God works he said, I'm going to take the chiefest of sinners and I'm going to turn him around. On that Damascus road, I'm going to meet him. I'm looking him up. And or I, I thought of, uh, or what about if Israel appointed Adolf Hitler their ambassador? It's, it's about like that. It is. But yet God appoints us to be his ambassadors. Now, I maybe should have told you what I look at it as an ambassador what I think the meaning of it is is someone who represents an ambassador was a representative of a monarch who was sent into an alien culture to represent the monarch and we represent the king of kings are we not aliens didn't he say we are we are foreigners in a strange land we're just representing the king of kings in a land where we no longer belong if you think this is it for you, I got news for you. There's a land we're going to that this, you'll be glad to leave this. You'll be glad that you were able to leave this. So our message, the thing we're charged to do is to preach the message of, and I say preach, that's just to proclaim, to proclaim the reconciliation ministry, the message that we've been given, which is Christ. And here's the other, another mystery that God is making. He is appealing through men who are once his enemies to do his pleading. We are to beg. We are to beg on behalf of Christ for men to be reconciled to God. Now, I don't want to go there. I don't want to get too carried away into this part, but... Um, that doesn't sound Calvinistic to me. Does that sound Calvinistic to you? Plead as though God is making an appeal through us. Hmm. The only thing I would say about that is that I think God knows who to make appeals to. Who to make the appeal to. And I don't want to go all into that's another subject matter that will get crazy on me if I try and break that apart but it is interesting when you think about it. God says you're to beg even and I think it's a passionate thing it's like be sincere be real be if um, if someone's here tonight that doesn't know him I think my call in the pulpit tonight would be to try my best to plead with you for you to recognize what Christ has done for you it's not a well, here's what happened. Yeah, I hope you believe it. That wouldn't be quite what's being asked for here. Another one of the mysteries for me is that he does clear the offenses of his enemies in verse 21. And how did he do that? He became sin. 
who knew no sin so that he could clear your offenses away. He could clear your sin out. So that verse 19 could be true. He that knew no sin became sin, namely Jesus Christ. He took on the sins of the world. Another one of the wonderful mysteries, right in that same passage. God now shares the righteousness of his son with us. He put all the sin on you, on, that you deserve, on his son. And then he gave you all of the son's righteousness in exchange. I wrote it this way, and I've heard it before. It wasn't my original thought. God judged his son as though he lived your life so he could reward you as though you lived his. Let me say that again. God judged his son as though he lived your life so he could reward you as though you lived his. That's what took place on the cross. That's the message of reconciliation. I'm going to read you something out of 1 Kings. These will be my closing thoughts. I know you're probably happy to hear that already. 2 Kings 7, verses 3 through 9. There was a famine going on in the land, and the people were starving. And food was at an all-time high. They were paying a ridiculous cost for food um, at that time. And it wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. It was going from bad to worse, and this is what happens. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. Now, the Arameans are the bad guys. They're the ones that are holding up the food from being able to come in. So he said, let's go over to our enemy's camp. Let's go over to the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live. And if they kill us, we will but die. We're going to die anyway. We might as well go over there and at least give it a shot. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Aramaeans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, their campsites just as it was, and fled for their lives. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them and they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them in verse 9 then they said to one another we are not doing right this day is a day of good news but we are keeping silent if we wait until morning light punishment will overtake us This is a day of good news, people. Are we keeping silent? Is there a deadly silence, even in maybe your own home? Maybe with your own children, even. 
you're not quite sure how to share it or and oh they'll think I'm not cool because I got saved and they were teenagers and I was doing things that I was encouraging them to do and then God saved me and, and now I don't know what to say to them I'm afraid to talk to them please stop we've got a message we got a job to do we tell them the message of reconciliation what Paul preached on last week tell them as you go along the way tell them don't be silent about it now I have this in here because I am fully believing that there's probably somebody here who doesn't really know Christ you know about him maybe but you've never put your faith in him so I would say this there's a gift of reconciliation available for you the good news the gospel namely that he died and rose again for you and that he's alive and living and he wants to save you he wants for you to spend eternity. So I say this. Do you want to die in your sins and go to hell forever? Or are you interested in full, complete, and eternal forgiveness? You, tonight, can be reconciled. Right now, God will forgive you all your sins. Not just for tonight, but forever. And if you're here and you're saved, then you should be shouting hallelujah to that because he already did that for you. But if you have questions, if you're not sure, I would just say this. God will forgive you all your sins forever. And I would just stop right there and say, are you interested in that? Are you interested in knowing that he'll forgive you all your sins? Would you like to know more about that? Well, I'll be here right after. There's some other pastors. There's people around. We'll, we'll talk to you about that if you're not sure. And I say that too because I know that this goes on a, this is on a, a, some kind of a recording tonight and they'll play it and it'll be on our website. So you can absolutely reach us very simply. Valabiowa.org. You contact any of us if you're hearing this. And to the believers, I say, church, I must believe that according to what I see going on around the world, and probably especially in our own country, I'd say the house is on fire. If not, there's a lot of smoke in the room. And us as the, if I can go back to my analogy earlier in the sermon, us as the smoke detectors, I'm hoping that no one's taken your battery out. I'm hoping that you haven't lost your tongue, that you're willing to speak on behalf of Christ. That's what he said he made you, was a minister of reconciliation. He gave us that ministry, which is incredible to me, that he would use us, the ones that once hated him, to now be the ones that carry out his plan of salvation and tell people about it. So... So I would just say, the encouraging thought after I say that is when we are an ambassador, if you study history when there's been ambassadors involved, the ambassadors are usually taken out of the foreign land when there's about to be a war. Did you hear me? When there's about to be a war, the ambassadors are taken out of that land, brought back home, brought to safety. 
And so because we're still here, there's still time. There's still time. There's still hope. You can still be the smoke alarm, be the ambassador for Christ. You can be that tonight. Because God has not gone silent. He is not silent. And he is going to use those that will let him use them. So I encourage you tonight. We are in a time of we still have good news. As bad as it seems all around you, we still have good news. And the news that we have, we need not to be silent about it.